Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. Sometimes it seems very difficult. And yet, Lord, you've told us that all scripture is given to teach and to help us. And so I just pray that this evening, the words of this prophet will enlighten and encourage and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. As Philippa was uh, reading that uh, part of chapter 3 to us, I was, it, it all sounds so dreadful, doesn't it? That uh, God came and there was a shaking of the earth and the mountains crumbled and the hills collapsed and there was distress and the dwellings were in anguish. And I kept thinking about Ukraine, you know, that we read something like that and we picture something so ancient but I actually think that of all the prophets, and Habakkuk is only three chapters, and it's a funny name apart from anything else. You'd have thought he'd have changed it, wouldn't you? Um, but it's the most relevant and in some ways mind-bending book because it speaks to exactly where we are now. Um, earlier this week, I had a phone call uh, with a friend that I was at university with. So don't ask how long ago that was because it was a very, very long time. Um, and sadly, she no longer practices her faith. But we were, um, when we were younger, um, fairly socially aware. We were part of the 60s and the passion for disarmament, for social justice, for doing away with poverty. We were both sociology students. We imagined that by this century, poverty would be so much less and they would have found solutions to all those things. Um, and we were having this conversation where we were saying how difficult it is to understand that the world is in such a mess. How can God allow such evil and such chaos? The eternal question that we find throughout scripture and that we often perhaps find ourselves talking about in the pub. How can a good God allow such evil and such chaos? Why do the good suffer and the wicked flourish? And this was Habakkuk's problem. And it could be ours today. We could be Habakkuk saying, Lord, why is this so dreadful? Now, I'm going to re recap a little bit of what Robert said last week. I hope you don't mind, but I just think it's such a, a whole, this book, that we need to just quickly follow it through. Habakkuk starts by saying to God, your people are really rubbish. They're supposed to be your people. They're supposed to have a moral law. They're supposed to be following the righteousness of God and look at them. And he looks in chapter one about the scandal of injustice. The law, he says, is paralyzed. Couldn't we say that? We're supposed to be a Christian nation and yet so often getting justice for the most vulnerable. Doesn't seem to happen or if it does, it takes years we too find institutionalized failure. Failure which goes back decades to act against sexual exploitation in some of our institutions, or to provide laws to protect people in appalling housing, or to provide a distribution of wealth which ensures that our health service fought for at such cost is maintained appropriately. And then there is lewdness in our communication and the use of vulnerable people to serve the sex trade, particularly through people trafficking. 
Our youngsters are drawn into a debased culture and into bullying by the social media. And so, like Habakkuk, we find ourselves saying, and if you look in chapter one that um, Robert was preaching on last week, there's all those things about failure of um, institutional morality, failure of, um, of good government, but also of violence. We've seen two young students stabbed for no, uh, killed for no reason in the last fortnight. So when Habakkuk says there's violence, there's inadequate government, there's exploitation of the poor, it's all going horribly wrong, this was 680 BC. It's not very different, is it? And we sit here and we say, Lord, what's going wrong? Why is all this awfulness happening? And I'm not even going to begin to talk about Russia because I'm not sure I entirely understand what's happening, but I'm not sure anybody does just right now. And so God gives Habakkuk an answer, and Robert talked about this last week. He says, don't worry, I've got an answer. The Babylonians are going to come, and the people of Israel are going to get their comeuppance. And Habakkuk looks a bit askance, and he says, no, I didn't mean that. Don't make it worse. And yet, you know, we're in that situation too, because we look at what we've done, for example, to the planet... And we could almost hear Habakkuk saying, God, is global warming our punishment for all the horrible things we've done? Is the potential for a world conflict, if Russia goes seriously pear-shaped, our punishment for the fact that we have abandoned you? This is what um, Habakkuk was saying. It, we could easily be saying it, couldn't we? It is so relevant. And God says, don't worry, I've, I've raised up the Babylonians. They're going to come and sort you out. But Habakkuk says, not the Babylonians, they're worse. They're cruel and violent and they're inhumane to their enemies. And that can't be the answer. And perhaps when we look at, at what God uh, wants for our world and we see what we have brought on ourselves in a sense, we have brought the Babylonians on ourselves in, in global warming and in violence and in uh, so many things that are wrong with our society. It may be the fear of worse outcomes, the Putins of our age, the threat of global warming, damage to the physical world. We may think, well, perhaps that's what we deserve, but it terrifies us. The Babylonians terrified poor Habakkuk even more than the, than the wickedness of his own people. So then where does he go? He is totally thrown by all this that he can't handle. And do you know what? He's not the first. Do you remember Job having to confront evil when he knew that he hadn't done anything wrong? And the psalmist, how long, O oh God, are you going to let the wicked flourish? How long is this going to go on? So this is where we are. And if Habakkuk seems a funny little book with a funny little name tucked somewhere so small in your Bible that it takes you longer to find than it does almost any other book in the Bible, it is actually very, very relevant because these problems of social disintegration, of the failure of human morality, and of its consequences are there. And it is so relevant to us today. And if you read the whole three chapters, they're quite short, and you think of something like Ukraine or Sudan or a country that is torn by war or famine or need, and it's all there. Cruelty, imperialism, exploitation of poor nations by rich nations, and God help us, that we did that too. 
So the world is in a parlous state. And so God says, God, where are you? And there are some verses that he mentions that start to crack through this impossibility. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, you are my Holy One. You will not die. Somehow there's an explanation in the understanding of who God is, rather like we were singing earlier, God the Holy One, the lifted high one, the one who is over it all. So why doesn't anything happen? I'm still in uh, the earlier chapters. Lord, you've appointed a time. You can't tolerate wrongdoing, but you are silent while the wicked swallow up those righteousness, those who are righteous. So what does Habakkuk say? He says this, I will stand at my watch, I will station myself on the ramparts, I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to get for this complaint. For the revelation awaits an appointed time, it speaks of an end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will surely come and not delay. And I think that, um, that little passage has actually a number of time frames that in our time, we will see God's kingdom work occurring amongst us. We've already seen it. When a warring nation is brought to peace, we think of the end of apartheid in South Africa, we think of um, the fall of Ceausescu in Romania. We see areas where God's goodness and God's desire for justice breaks through, just the, the, the food banks and the, and the concern for the poor that we're seeing all around us. God is working his purpose out, but his total resolution of this anguish, we've got to wait for. Habakkuk had to wait, and Jesus told us in the Gospels to wait. He said, you don't know the day or the hour, but my Father does, and that day will come. And what will that day be like? I love this verse in Habakkuk. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. And in a way, we can pray for that to happen now, that Stoughton will know the outpouring of the knowledge of God that this church will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. But yet there is an appointed time and Habakkuk was told, wait for it, though it linger, it will come. And Jesus, 700 years later, said, I will come again. And we can trust that God's appointed time will happen even though it seems to be taking a very long time. Or it may be that for each of us, when we go to be with him, we'll find that appointed time in the kingdom into which he invites us at the end of our human days. So what do we do? I'm afraid that's taken a long time. And I'm now on to chapter three, which Philippa read so well for us, but I'm gonna try and not take too long. What do we do? How do we respond to that? How do we deal with the problem of living in a broken world and yet trusting in an all-powerful God? Chapter 3, verse 1. 
I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known, and in your wrath, remember mercy. We can pray. Pray for the world. Pray that God's outcome will have some degree of mercy. As we pray, perhaps, for the chaos that's happening in the Ukraine-Russia situation, perhaps pray that God's will will be made known and that in his wrath he will remember mercy and there will be an element of gentleness and of God's loving care towards those people. Verses 3 to 9, we see in those awful pictures of, uh, of God's vengeance, but we do see God's splendour. And like Job, we trust in our unknowing and as we've done this evening, we fall at the feet of the God who is eternal, powerful, and over all the world. We don't understand. We don't have the minds that can contain the purposes of God, but we can trust him. And so to the personal. Chapter 3. We're now well on to chapter 3. Verse 13. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine and all these awful things happen, I will rejoice in the Lord. So at the personal level, Habakkuk says, let's just turn our back on all that for a minute. Let's just turn off the news. Let's stop looking at the news. Let's just look at God and know that whatever else is going on, he is our God. And these lovely verses, um, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. And I love this. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Now, I have never been sure-footed a mountain goat I have never been in the foot department. And uh, as Terry will tell you, I'm not um, unlikely to fall on mountain paths because I don't have a very good centre of gravity. So um, I love this because that's how we sometimes feel about our lives, that it's all a bit precarious and at any minute we could get it wrong. There's a, a very ancient book that was quite popular when I was young called Hind's, um, Hind's Feet in High Places, which was the old um, translation of this verse. And that what God is saying to us is this. Look, it, this is a tough world. It's tough for you personally. It's tough when you look at what's going on in the world because it's a fallen world. It's a broken world. But at the end of the day, we have a trust in a saviour who came to die for the world and to make possible a new reality when the earth will be filled with the glory of God. So turn your back on it for a bit. Turn your back on the turmoil and gaze on Almighty God. There is a bigger picture. There are no easy answers. But there is a bigger picture, which is about the coming of Jesus, about the pouring out of the Spirit, about the hope and the faith we have. And let's commit ourselves, as Habakkuk did, to watch and to listen. I don't know what God's doing, but I will watch. I love this picture. There's um, a, a, 
a Hebrew town would have like a fence around it or a wall to protect it. And there would be watchtowers at various places, not like great big sort of Gestapo things, but probably just little wicker type things where the soldiers who were watching out for enemies coming would be. And they'd stand there for hours on end just watching to see what was coming. And I think perhaps God is asking us, like Habakkuk, to watch with discernment and sensitivity. What is God doing in our age? What is God wanting to do in Stoughton? Where does God want to be working so that goodness and joy and some kind of justice will prevail in our immediate environment? And we pray uh, for the bigger world. And we rejoice each day that as we get up each morning to tread this precarious world, we are given hinds feet in high places. We will be able to tread securely with our hand in the hand of God until the day when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God. Not only that, but we know not only will the earth be filled with the knowledge of God, but every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because the God who loves his world and wants to mend his broken world came into his broken world in Jesus Christ and the broken world broke the Saviour. But the Saviour rose victorious and one day every knee shall bow. I want to read you just a few verses from one of my favourite um, passages of scripture. It's Psalm 73, because I think it just sums all this up as I come to an end. This is the psalmist, not Habakkuk, but he's saying this, as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. It's all going horribly unjust and horribly wrong. And he says, I, don't, I didn't know how to understand any of this. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet, verse 23, read it before you go to bed. End of Psalm 73. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful, but as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of your deeds. It's a broken old world. I may not have made you feel any more comfortable. There aren't any easy answers, but we have a God who has answers, whose timing will be perfect, even though we don't seem to understand why it's taking so long. And in the meantime, he holds us by, his, by our right hand and gives us strong feet to, to tread firmly into the future in this precarious world. Amen.